Hello and welcome to the Rantish Podcast. I am your host, Freckled Ham, and today I'm going to be finally sharing with you a conversation that I had with my personal midwife, Melissa Chapel. And um, she has been my midwife for my last three babies. Is that right? Or is the last two? <laughs> Hold on a second. It's the last three. And um, this conversation that we had back in, uh, what, let's see, February was not about this particular pregnancy that I'm currently experiencing, but just more about midwifery in general, um, my birth experiences, what led me to wanting to use her as a provider and that kind of stuff. Because there's a lot of, I, Melissa and I both could go on a lot of rants (laughs) about the birthing world, especially that we have here in the United States. So I'm excited for you to that, for you to hear that conversation. Before I dive into that, though, I really quickly just wanted to let you know that I am officially launching my next round of my Redefining Motherhood program on September 13th, and so the wait list is open now. What this program is, it is helping you think about motherhood differently. So a lot of people, they have this idea that in order to be happier as a mom or to have a better idea outlook on motherhood that you just need to think more positively about the different things that you're doing and reframe your thoughts to be more positive. And I, I'm not going to say that doesn't work because I do think that that has a lot of power, but that is not what we do in my program. In my program, I actually teach you how to think about what motherhood is differently. Or in other words, I teach you how to redefine the way that you are thinking about motherhood So that the only thing that you are thinking of when you hear the word motherhood is the relationship that you have with your kids. All of the other tasks and jobs and responsibilities and et cetera, et cetera, is no longer part of your definition of motherhood. They may still be things you have to do and you may love them and you may not like them, but the point is to help you see that those things are not motherhood. We do also talk about like, okay, how can you feel better about doing these things that you're doing and also how can you decide maybe some of these things don't matter anymore we cover all kinds of stuff it's a six-week program I teach the classes live each week each class is about 45 minutes or so and then I'm always available to answer questions we have like a private Facebook group that you guys can communicate through as well and it is just like The feedback that I've gotten on this program has been amazing. So if this is something that's interesting to you, I will leave a link for the waitlist in the description below. And I also made a little quiz. If you hear me talk about redefining motherhood and you're like, yeah, this is cool, but I don't really know if I need this. I don't really feel like the way I'm thinking about motherhood is impacting my relationships all that much in a negative way. Then you can check out this quiz and it will kind of help you see like, oh, maybe the way I'm thinking about motherhood is hurting my relationships more than I thought, which would mean that I want to experience what Hannah's talking about by redefining motherhood. So I'll leave the link for that in the, in the link, what? In the notes, show notes as well. And then I'll also leave contact information for Melissa, like where you can see her and the birth center that she runs out of Provo, Utah. Can't wait for you to hear all about our rantish conversation on birth. And um, as always, if you have any feedback for me, I am here for it. So send me a message on Instagram at freckledhan, or that's probably the best way to contact me. You could also email me, but let's just stick to Instagram. 
without further ado, here we go. Hello and welcome to the Rantish Podcast. Yay. <laughs> I'm so excited to have Melissa Chapel here. Melissa, what do you feel rantish about? Oh my gosh, Hannah, don't. Don't get me started. Just kidding. You should get me started. That's the whole point of this, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, I am an out-of-hospital midwife, so I always feel very rantish about that. Yes. But then there are other things that I feel rantish about, too, like just about how women are treated in certain places as in, well. Within society? Yeah, but more, well, my passion is birth, obviously. Right. So more within childbirth and the childbearing years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, so, let's get into it. <laughs> so I'll give a little background about Melissa. So I found Melissa when I was expecting Quincy. Um, Kim Christensen from Talk 40 to Me, I actually. Is, she posted, I think, that you were opening a birth center on Instagram oh stories. And I had done in-hospital births with my first two, Lydia mm-hmm. and Elliot. And honestly, they weren't a bad experience, but I yeah. wouldn't say they were a good experience. Like, they were just kind of, like, fine. Yeah, you got your baby. Yeah, I got my baby. You're and, healthy. Your baby's healthy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just, so with the first one, I had done all, I had done them both unmedicated in hospital. Mm-hmm. And with my first birth, my OB was scheduled to go out of town the whole time, never mentioned it. Um, then he was about to, as my due date was approaching, he like stripped my men- membranes like four or five times <sighs> because he was leaving town, but still didn't tell me. Yeah. And he was convinced that I was going to go into labor after. And I never did. And so then finally he was just like, okay, well, I'm going to be out of town. So blah, blah. And I like, literally he told me like, this is what, two days after my due date now. And he's like, I'm going to be out of town for the next week. Did you know that your membranes were being stripped? He did tell me, um, but I obviously didn't really know what it meant. What exactly. And it was just kind of like, it, it was more like, I'm going to do this. Is that okay? Then like, Mm. would you like me to do that? That's actually even that's that's a lot better than yeah for sure. To, for it, sure it's not okay but yeah. it's still yeah yeah I definitely I didn't feel like at least he like waited for you to yes. answer he did have to give permission yeah, which is great that's yes. great yes yes um anyway so then he went out of town obviously I went into labor shortly after a couple days later and so the OB on call was the one that was the one that delivered but there was kind of a moment there where I was laboring unmedicated. I was bleeding Mm. and she came in and like freaked out and was just like, you need the OB on call. call." Um, Like we need to prepare for emergency C-section, blah, blah, blah. And it was, and she was like, you have 20 minutes to make your decision. And she left. And we were before the baby was out. Yeah. So I had been bleeding, which I didn't know was not normal because it it was my first is normal okay there we go (laughs) certain amounts of it and it can be quite copious and can be a little scary but there's a very distinct line between what could be bleeding from a a placental abruption partial placental abruption and what could be cervical bleeding so rapid cervical bleeding will cause will cause blood to happen as well but Mm. i wonder i i wonder they said they said it was a partial placenta abruption wow did you, was your baby okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, in the heart tones, like when being monitored. I was never told otherwise. Yeah. So I, it could have still been that. It could have. Who knows? Yeah. It was just, it was very weird because I felt fine. Everything was fine. I was yeah. like, you know, had a little bit of bleeding. Didn't feel severe pain in one spot. Mm-hmm. Of your Wasn't, body. no. And then we were just kind of trucking along. And then this OB comes in and she's just like, oh, why doesn't wow. she have an epidural? She- Wow. And she was like, she wouldn't even talk to me directly. It was so weird. 
And she was really upset about the fact that I didn't have an epidural. And like, was like talking my about Hannah, I'm a person. All the risks the one. that like why it was so bad that I didn't have an epidural. Cause she was like, We might need to rush. She's like, You're bleeding. We're probably gonna need to do an emergency C section. So like you need to have the epidural. Otherwise, you're gonna have to be fully unconscious when your baby is born. And it was like literally it felt like we were punched in the gut. My mom, Steven, my cousin, April. Hannah, I don't remember. I'm sure you told me this story, but I don't remember it. And, and so I'm kind of mind blown right now. <laughs> we were just like, what happened? But okay, I will say this is to her credit. So she says, I'll be back in 20 minutes. You need to make your decision. And so she leaves and we're all just like, what just happened? Well, also 20 minutes isn't an emergency. Right. So if one minute is an emergency. She was right? worried because like if when my water broke fully that a mm-hmm. bunch more blood was going to come mm-hmm. and that was going to require a C-section, I think. Interesting. Um, anyway, so she leaves. We're all like, what just happened? What do we do? Um, we like said a prayer, kind of gathered yeah. our thoughts, and we were like, we feel good about going forward with this unmedicated birth. And to this doctor's credit, I honestly can't even remember her name. She came back and she said, Okay, I've had a chance to look over your file. She said, It looks like you are a healthy individual. How did you see this birth going? Oh my gosh. And I was like, Oh, okay. And we talked it through, and she was just like, Okay. I can support yeah. you. And also, it was totally to her credit, she may have just seen that happen yes. yesterday and it had a bad outcome. Exactly. I honestly, I think that's what yeah. it was because she had kind of rushed in mm-hmm. from an emergency situation. Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess emergency is kind of like a interesting word yeah. uh, in a hospital setting because sometimes I think there's error, yeah. or not, not error, but there's like a spectrum yes. <laughs> of that. Absolutely. Um, anyway, so I do think that her just like mental space, she was in... PTSD, yes. probably. Yes. yes. Which as a provider, I can now completely understand that. Oh, I'm sure. At, when I was a doula and not a provider, I was like, why are you guys freaking out all the time? Mm-hmm. And now I understand why people, you know, because in the back of your mind, you're like, these are the, these are some of the same signs I saw when we had that other complication. So mm-hmm. is this going to move in that direction? And now I feel like I need to be even more vigilant and my heart is racing because I have some PTSD from that last experience. And so, yeah, I understand. That actually reminds me um, about some, a post that I've seen you or you talk birth suites or whatever post about like questions to ask your provider. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions being, what do you do to, how did you phrase it? It was so good. It mm-hmm. might have been Utah birth suites. Okay. <laughs> I am not this. Everyone thinks that I am the social media right. person for Utah birth suites and I'm not. Well, we've <laughs> talked about this though. So I know that you know what I'm talking about. Um, but like asking your provider, what do you do to manage PTSD from yeah, birth? Yeah, and you've talked yeah. about what you and seasons too. Yes. Yeah. Do you want me to yeah, expand on that? Please. Yeah. So seasons just took nine days off with her family. They went to a really cabin. Quick, just so oh, people know. Seasons is yes. Melissa's co-owner of yes. the birth center. Yeah. In- She's one of my best friends in the whole world. We're definitely like sisters who don't share mothers and fathers. <laughs> <laughs> Although she loves my mom and dad and I love her mom and dad. And we've been... So we met, she did this, um, a doula training with me and we were not midwives yet. And oh my gosh, I keep losing track of time. Cause you know, the years go by Yeah. when we first started in 2018, it had been like 16 years ago. So now it's like, tw- like 21 years wow. ago. She took a training from me in St. George and, um, we kept in touch, you know, that whole time she did her midwife journey. I did my midwife journey. She moved back near me. And then we started becoming friends and saying, hey, let's start practicing together when we became new midwives. And we decided to open a birth center together. Um, yeah, so that's Seasons. She's co-owner of Utah Birth Suites and also has her own private practice as well, which is what I have. A lot of people don't realize they're two separate practices. Oh, okay. But, I didn't realize yeah. that. 
minus songbird maternity. So, but right. then of course, since we own Utah Bird Suites, we use the facilities and all of the equipment and everything there. But gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Go back. No, now you're to good. The what yeah. You guys so do. so she just took. She just went to a cabin for nine days with her family. Didn't take clients for this time because she needed to, you know, rejuvenate and yeah. renew. Um, I take regular time off. I t- took the last two weeks of December off, all of January off. I'm taking two weeks in June off. I'm taking all of August off, most of September. I'm taking another big chunk in December again. So we regularly take time off. I take probably more time off than almost every midwife I know, Mm. but I also have an insanely busy practice. Yeah. Crazy, crazy busy. So in order to best serve my clients, I take time off to renew. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to serve my clients. And it's really sad because sometimes I have a client that will come in. I mean, this happened with us where... I said, Hannah, I'm going to Ireland for 11 days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we we're like, we're sure that you, you, I'll be back by the time you have and your baby. I just want to clarify. The difference, though, between Lydia's, with my OB with Lydia, was that he never once mentioned it until he was leaving town. Yeah. Whereas with Melissa, our very first appointment, we sat down. I told her when I was due, and she was like, okay, here's the deal. Yeah, this was even the consultation. Yes. Like I said, you cannot hire me without feeling comfortable with knowing this information. Yes. Yeah, So I, so I met texted you as I was getting on the plane in Amsterdam and I yep. said Hannah how's it going she's like literally nothing's happening I'm totally fine nothing at all don't worry get on your plane which is a 10-hour flight I'll see you when you get home and I'm like yes we made it I'm totally gonna be there for Hannah's birth I got off the plane and maybe seasons texted me she's like so Hannah just had her baby I think he was born like 20 minutes before you yes. landed <laughs> I drove I like got off the airplane got in my car drove straight to the birth center because yep. I wanted to say hi to Hannah before she and you got to clean it all up she left. <laughs> yeah I think I actually did you help did. with clean up because seasons I, had like a wedding or something yeah to go to, that, yes <laughs> so I got to clean up after Hannah's birth but I didn't get to be there it was for so it was so funny because yeah I was having no contractions absolutely Zero. nothing I was so sad. I was so sad. Barely, barely. But yeah, the point is that we, I mean, all my clients know this, you know, they, when they, I've had clients, for example, seasons and I are going to a conference in Germany in um, October. And I have clients who have hired me knowing like, I don't care. I will hold this baby in. I know that you're going to be gone. If you're not here, I will accept that I have to go with one of your backup midwives, but also I'm willing to take that risk. Totally. So well, and all of your backup midwives are so great. Amazing. And, and Amazing. you do such a good job of like making sure that we are familiar with yes. them so that if that does happen, like it yeah, was. Yeah, so you, you they meet everybody yes. meets everybody beforehand. Yeah. They know your history, they know what our plan do is for most birth. Clinics work that way? Well, mo- well, okay. So most out of hospital midwives work on their own and they do have backups in case they get sick or something bad happens, but they don't have like the network kind of, yeah, we've got an amazing, we're so lucky and blessed to have so many amazing midwives, but we've also handpicked each of them. Like we've handpicked them. Well, you've trained now most of them. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the ones we have now, we've trained all of them. So we've kind of trained them in our culture and our culture is like always kindness is first, kindness and love and respect and supporting the, the clients and what they want. That's our number one. That's first. And then of course we they have to be skilled as well. Right, right. <laughs> they have to be very skilled. And um, I was lucky to be trained with um, midwives who were extremely skilled in like the medical side of things as well as the traditional side of things. And so then I've been able to put those two together in a really, really beautiful way. And I think they both have their place. 
So then if someone is hemorrhaging, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you shared that? Yeah, before? we can talk about it. Totally, <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't want to. So I mean, I do an Instagram a... live about it. That's so. true. I, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I have to tell you this story. And, there, and then I'm like, but just so you know, I'm not going to tell your story. I'm telling this one because I've been given permission to tell yeah, this one. Yeah, you have permission to tell my story. I know. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, and then I'm always like, also, you could go watch it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Yeah, but... I mean, not I didn't live stream the birth. I know yes, people do that. I know. Well, we just live streamed talking about it. I recently had a client it. do it, yeah. I saw that. I was like, yeah, that is It was old. really sweet. That's really but old. you couldn't see any... It was so yeah. dark, you couldn't see anything. Um, yeah, she was so confident, you know, and just like, yeah, do it. I want to share that this can be done, you know, if you... And she worked so hard to prepare. So, in back up, back up, back up. I always talk in circles. For in Hannah's case, you know, we have a history of hemorrhage with you. And yeah, so, so I hemorrhaged a little bit after Quincy when yeah. Melissa was on the plane. <laughs> I was with Seasons, very well taken care of. Hemorrhaged a little, we got it under control, it was fine. Yes. Um, and then with Lawrence, it was a little a bit more. more. <laughs> yes. Hannah's perspective is that it was a little bit more. My perspective <laughs> is that it was a lot more. That's but true. that but that also is going back to that PTSD. Like, was Lawrence born in 2021? He was, 2020. 2020. So in 2020, I mean, we don't have to talk about that thing, you know, that big thing that happened in 2020 and 2021, but we saw an increase in hemorrhages like we've never seen in 20 years of, because even though seasons and I weren't, weren't midwives, we did births. We still did births. So we've both been, I've been attending births. My first birth I did when was when my daughter was, was five months old and she's 26. Now. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? And so how did you even know what a doula was at that point? So it was a brand new thing. Like okay. so I um I lived in California and they're like, Have you heard of this thing? I was a childbirth educator. Okay. And I had been kind of networking with people in California that were also birth people. Mm-hmm. You know, there weren't really birth workers back then. And the person, um, a person in one of my childbirth groups was like, Hey, you know, there's this thing called a doula and we're doing a doula training, and do you wanna come to it? And I was like, I I'm not, I don't, I'm not like skilled in the, you know, like how to check blood pressure and stuff like that. And she said, oh no, it's not anything to do with that. It's you're there as a support person, but you're there at the birth. And I thought, oh my gosh, this sounds like an awesome thing. So I took their training, which was with an old organization called Alice, the Association of Labor Assistants and Childbirth Educators, because back then they were called labor assistants. Um, And then that. So before doula, before the term doula became. Yeah. It was called labor assistant. Labor assistant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then about um, that, I was pregnant with that training with my 26 year old daughter. And then she was born at home with an awesome midwife there who's still practicing, I think. Wow. And I know I, I don't, I haven't been in good touch with her. I need to call her and say, guess what? I'm a midwife. And my daughter's also interested in starting to do midwifery work now. And so I need to say, and that baby that you delivered is also wanting to be a midwife now. But, um, so then I heard of another one coming up that was by Dona, who are the original, they, they're the ones who actually coined the term doula. Okay. So then I took another training with them. And so I just thought, oh my, my gosh. And that, that was in California. So it wasn't, I don't even think you could have found a training in Utah for the next five years after that. Um, then it became a doula. Then I became a doula trainer and I became a midwife. So that was kind of my trajectory. I started but you out. were a, just a doula for decades, like yeah. over a decade, right? Yeah. yeah, I attended hundreds of births in the hospital, approximately 600 births in the hospital. Wow. So I got, so which was actually amazing because most midwives don't get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so it gave me so much knowledge for like how things are done in the hospital and how 
obstetricians manage complications and what is done in this case. And, and I, you know, of course you start seeing patterns of like what certain procedures and tests will cause problems, you know, that, that, that the hospitals don't necessarily, necessarily correlate with what they're doing because I'm also seeing home births this whole time too. I'm also a doula for doing doulas. So that 600 births was hospital births that was some births, some home births but mostly hospital births yeah gotcha yeah some home births and some birth center but almost all hospital births yeah and then and then after that is when I started attending births on my own and doing births in Haiti and stuff like that so yeah I don't know where we were going with that but we were I think we were just talking about how so we knew that you had a history of hemorrhage and so because I had I was able to also learn um some of the clinical I hate saying medical because birth isn't medical at all but it can sometimes move into that realm I always tell people birth isn't pathological it's normal physiological event in a woman's life Mm -hmm. um though sometimes it can move into a pathological space and and if it does move into that pathological space we need to have tools to be able to manage that and sometimes we don't have the tools and so then we refer go to the hospital and we say Hey, we're really glad you guys are here. Um, this is the situation. And generally speaking, we have some pretty good relationships with our local hospitals. Um, some of the people don't like us very yeah, much. Yeah, some of the but... <laughs> providers more than others. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. I was going to say something and I totally lose space. Well, I can rant actually about that if you Please. want me to. <laughs> yes, let's hear it. So something that, one thing that really, really, really frustrates me so much is that the rates of free birth, do you know what free birth is? No. Where women are just having babies by themselves. Oh, okay. So no skilled attendant at their births, no midwife. Sometimes they'll have like a doula there, but not not like a medically trained person who okay. who necessarily knows how to see a complication happening. And the reason that more women are doing free birth is because they can't find midwives either in their area or they are, refuse to go to the hospital. They're done. They're done with our rates in the U.S., which are absolutely disgusting. Like we spend three times more on maternal health care in the United States because we think that more tests and more procedures and more managing of birth is going to make better outcomes. But we're like, we're underneath like Saudi Arabia, Dubai, some African countries. We're beneath those when we talk about maternal death rates in the United States. Wow. Like we're like number 45 around there. It changes often. So, and it's same with newborn death rates as well. And we, and we keep throwing more money, more money, more money thinking that more management is what's going to make everything better. But then if you look at the statistics from skilled midwives, so I want to be really clear here that a lot of the stats that people might see about midwives also unattended births are thrown into those stats and, and also births that are accidentally happened on the side of the road are thrown into those stats. And so we get our rates a lot of times in statistics, or if you read like a news article on home birth or it's so horrible, they're super skewed because you have all these people who don't have skilled attendants there. And, and I understand why women are choosing free birth because they're not being treated safely in hospitals. There was just a Cochrane review done. Okay. I'm like so ranty right now. No, I love it. This is what this podcast is all about, right? So in 2023, just probably last month, a couple weeks ago, there were two researchers who did a Cochrane review and Cochrane, the Cochrane database has every research study ever done is in the Cochrane database. And so if you do a Cochrane review, you can look at every single study done on a certain thing, and then you can do a review on it, which is actually 
the best data that we have out there. So the very best data that we have is a randomized controlled study that is also reviewed and maybe picked with several other randomized controlled studies and put together in a Cochrane review. So there were two researchers who did a Cochrane review just barely, like just recently. And their, their, their um, conclusion was that it's actually more dangerous for healthy low-risk women to give birth in the hospital. And, and these were women who were giving birth in well-organized hospital institutions, not just like some rural hospital. These were women who are giving birth in like level four hospitals, hospitals who have NICUs, who have a, the ability to do C-sections and, and like the highest level care that you can get, that it's actually more dangerous for high risk women to give birth in the hospital because they for get- For high risk or low for, risk? Sorry, for low, low risk. risk. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for yeah. catching that. So for high risk, it's safer. You need to be in a hospital yeah. if you have risk factors. And, and the thing that frustrates me so much, so now I'll go back to my, the beginning, um, I am so, I get so upset when doctors and nurses are so angry with what we do and they want us to quit. They want to get our licenses taken away. They, not all of them. Some mm -hmm. of them are amazing. Some of them are wonderful. I have a nurse that we've been working with, with a very, very busy local hospital. And she's like trying really hard to try to get her nurses trained in things like the peanut ball or like mm -hmm. using, um, positioning for example even just that can drastically reduce the c-section rate or letting people move or eat and drink yeah and um and she's just been wonderful but there are so many people providers hospital that who specifically work in the hospital who are trying to get us banned and trying to get us taken away what's going to happen is that women will go underground they're not going to quit having their babies out of hospital they'll go underground i'll be everything that I do will be illegal. And in some states it still is illegal. What I do, I could get put in jail for what I do. Wow. Yeah. So every state, state, so, um, North Carolina is one that I can think of and huh. I can't, I don't remember any of the others, but, so I, but there are like four others, I think. Um, but so they get so upset and I've actually taken doctors aside before when I've transferred someone to the hospital and I'll say, listen, I know that you don't, like what I do, but these women will do this whether I'm there or not. And I'm skilled and I'm trained and I've gone to school and I have all these skills. I can give an IV. I know how to administer oxygen. I know how to administer Pitocin and Methogen and Cytotec and Misoprostol. And, and I get, those are the same Misoprostol and Cytotec are the same thing, but which is what we had to do with you. You know, mm -hmm. we had to give you some of these extra things to kind of manage the extra bleeding. And it was great. It was, it was perfect. Great. It, yeah. At, there were no, we, no, no there was no craziness no at any time. We nope. knew what the plan was. We knew that you bleed a little extra. And I, so I you said wish... a little. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and sometimes you bleed a little extra. Just kidding. I feel like the last time was pretty good though. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. The time before that, the I feel like was a little that. more than a little yeah. extra. <laughs> but I feel, I just feel like I, I get so frustrated because I, 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 I wish that they understood that if we collaborated more. Yeah. Because we all want the same thing. We want moms to feel cared for and we want moms and babies to be safe and healthy, but I don't want moms to just be alive. I want right. them to thrive in their birth experiences. And I think that the difference between a hospital system and like my birth center, for example, is that the hospital systems have to be system oriented. So system centered. And I'm a business owner. I own other businesses besides just the birth center. And so I, and I've been an entrepreneur for decades. So I understand what system centered a system centered business needs to look like i i get that and and hospital birth brings in 80% of most hospitals revenue 80% wow. you're a business owner yeah 
you you understand what yeah. that means. If you knew that something brought 80% of your revenue, what are you going to focus on? The 20%? No. Exactly. And you're going to try to do everything that you can to, to like, bring people in. Right. And how do you bring people in and get them out? You give them Pitocin, you induce them, you get them in and you get them out so that you have another bed open for another paying customer. Right. And people never think of it in that way because it's healthcare. These are people's lives. These are babies. Why would we think of that from a business perspective? Now, to be fair, of course, I think of my clients as I have to as integrate clients. them into the business as clients. Right. Yeah, they're clients. Customers. They're yeah. Absolutely. I have to think of them in those terms for certain aspects of my care. But for most of my care, I don't. So right. for, for my birth center, it's woman-centered. It's family-centered. It's newborn-centered. It's not system-centered. Yes, we have systems in place. But I'm not going to try to force someone's body to go into labor so that I can get her out and fill the next bed. We've got three places where people can give birth. And we very rarely have two at the same time. We've never had three at the same time. So I have a practice that works for the facilities that I have. I have staff that works well for, for the number of clients that I have to the point where we can give the mom 24 hours of care if she needs. We can give her 36 hours of care if she needs to. Like we have enough staff to actually do that. That's really That's hard. And that rarely incredible. happens, but yeah, does that, so, so I'm not like just, it's not going to be just like a nurse and there are no shift changes. And there right. are some birth centers who do um, shifts and, and shift work is actually the way to make it most sustainable for midwives, but it's actually not the best care for clients. So the way that we work that is that we take time off. Mm -hmm. just so that we don't ever have to well, do When you have like work. a bed there in the birth center, totally. you need to go take a rest, yes. you know? Yes. We call it the midwife sleep room. Yeah. Yeah. So like we always have three people at every birth, right? So at least three, sometimes four. How many have we had at yours? Four. Yeah. I think every time four, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we can always have, we, so we well, always maybe have. maybe not with Quincy. Maybe three with, with Quincy. With Quincy. Yeah. I don't know. But the last two, yeah. Yeah. There were four. So we have, oh, with Quincy was the, Yeah. One that was probably because I was on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we always have three or four people there at a birth. Um, there are sometimes like Allison and I have done a couple births where there have only been two of us, but they've been very, very low risk and they have history. And so we felt okay about that, or they've happened so quickly that the mm -hmm. other person didn't arrive in time. But, um, so we do have systems in place. We have protocols in place. If someone's bleeding, we have an algorithm. You do this first, then you do this, then you do this. And if this is happening, then you move to this side of the algorithm, then you move to this side of the algorithm. So we're safe. We're safe, safe, safe midwives, right? But and we're skilled. So the thing that is so upsetting to me is that that these doctors and nurses are trying to get us banned. They're trying to take away our rights to practice. They're trying to take away women's rights to practice to have babies outside of the hospital. When if when you look at the databases and when you look at the research, low risk women actually have an easier, a, a, a more likely chance to have a safer birth out of hospital than they do in the hospital. And the biggest reason that they point to is babies being damaged by medications or moms having C-sections or having forceps and vacuum extraction deliveries or Just having episiotomies. Yeah. So they were speaking less to death and more to damage, which is called morbidity. So mortality okay. rates, um, in the, in out of hospital with low risk women are almost zero. Like they, they just, it just doesn't happen. Sometimes babies die out of hospital. Often babies die in hospital, hmm. but they're, but the thing that's also frustrating is if we ever have if a midwife ever has a baby who dies out of the hospital, it's usually, let's say she has an entire career, it's zero 
or one. Like it's so, so, so small. I can guarantee you that every doctor who, who does birth in the hospital has several babies per year that die. And, wow. and which, which they have high risk women. So that's going to happen. Okay. But much of that I believe is caused by what we call iatrogenic. That means doctor caused or medical caused. So we're doing things to try to make check the boxes. So we don't have litigation or get suits against us, you know, in the hospital to check off the litigation boxes, which are actually damaging to the mom and the baby. So it's just frustrating to me. I'm like, wait, if we work together, we could actually have better outcomes for moms and babies, but like for all of us, for all of us, not just my clients, but your patients as well, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and instead let's try to ban it. And then what happens? It becomes more unsafe, way more unsafe because women are just going to be like, peace out. If I can't. And and we see this in places like North Carolina, where midwives are banned, women will drive to the borders to try to have their babies or they'll have, they'll fly to other States to have their babies because they don't feel safe in their local hospitals. So, wow. Yeah. I just, I mean, I can say because with Lawrence, so what happened was I hemorrhaged and, um, they, it was one of those things where it was like, we were monitoring it and it was all very peaceful. It was never like in, in my impression, (laughs) any like, chaotic or traumatic mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was just like, okay, I was bleeding. They were watching the bleeding. We were kind of doing some different things. Eventually the bleeding got to a point where Melissa suggested I go to the hospital to get my blood levels checked. Yeah. So we had the bleeding under control, but you had lost so much that we okay. were worried you might have needed a transfusion. Okay. And we don't do transfusions. We don't have a blood bank, obviously out, right. out of hospital. Right. Right. Yeah. So Melissa referred me to the hospital, but it, again, like I was stable. Like, I mean, I your baby was stable. In, you were stable. The baby was we fine. got you cleaned up. We put you in your car. I stopped you, yeah. at this burger place on the way <laughs> to get a burger. I forgot that you did that. <laughs> so awesome. Um, yeah. Anyway. So then I go into the hospital and it was, and we had called beforehand. So they knew yes. that you were coming. So Melissa just so, just so people whole... know, like, yeah. we're not just like, Hannah, you and need to head you, over even there. Melissa would have come with me, except it was COVID. Yeah. So we weren't allowed. I couldn't even take yeah. Lawrence with me. Yeah. My mom I, had yeah. to take the baby, this yeah. literally three hours old baby. She had to take him home because they were only going to let me in the hospital with one person. And I had to choose <clears> if I wanted it to be Steven or the baby. Right? Yeah. And if we would have, and, and if you would have taken the baby, they would have taken your baby. They, that happens. We, whenever we have to transfer a mom, we never, unless, unless a baby needed to be seen for Mm. whatever reason, which rarely, I can't even remember the last baby we took after being born, but you, so if you would have taken the baby, they would have wanted to admit the baby and they probably would put the baby in the NICU. Really? Yeah. We see that happen a lot because there were they want to go test the baby for things. So they'll want to test the baby for GBS infection. I've had babies that have had spinal taps, not my babies. I've heard of midwives, right. their babies having spinal taps done on them just because they don't believe that they don't they believe that if they were born out of hospital that they must we must have like imbued them with some infection or something, or that we don't, you oh know, that we're not careful and that we don't gosh. check for certain things. But but like in your case, we send all the records. So we fax all your yeah. records. I called ahead of time. So I have a client. She's stable. Her baby's stable. So we're not admitting the baby. But, um, and I talked to the charge nurse and they're, they're usually amazing. The charge nurses are fabulous. And I say, and you know, I give a report. So it's called soap notes. So you say like, here's the situation. Here's my observation. And you 
the rest, it's some of your nurse listeners will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we give report and we say, this person's name is Hannah. She's G, whatever you were at the time, you know, G3, P2. That means how many babies you've oh, okay. been, you've carried before. Um, I think you're a G4, P3, actually. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but but anyway, and then, and then I say, and she's a 30, how old are you? Are you like I'm not even 30 right yet? Now. Okay. She's a 27 year old female. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Obviously, you're female if you're giving, if I was sending you to labor and delivery. Um, and then I just say, here's a situation. We've had this much blood loss. We estimate it at whatever, 1,200 cc's. And it was, I'm sure, sure it was much more than that because we wouldn't send you for that much, although that's a lot too. Um, she's totally stable. Vitals are good. She's acting fine, but I'm worried she may need a transfusion. We don't have a blood bank here. And they're like, okay, send her on over. We're ready. And, they, and they're ready for your case. They have all your records. So I think a lot of people and okay. Well, yeah. So I went, we went to the hospital. We weren't scared. We weren't like, I mean, we were just like, okay, we're going to go check this out. But just seeing the contrast yeah. in the attitude and power dynamic and just like feeling yeah. of being in the birth center with Melissa and then going to the entering like of my free will and choice, right. Into mm-hmm. this hospital where I'm like, Hey, I just want to get checked out. It was uncanny. Like, I, I've never, obviously, I don't think many people would have experienced that drastic yeah. of a dynamic shift in they, such a short amount of yeah, time, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, I've worked with OBs in previous, and I will say, this particular OB that I had at the hospital <laughs> is not very well liked. I think he retired, can, did it like, all, about a month goodness. ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after the, obviously, I had no choice in the matter because it was just two yeah. hours there. But He's skilled. Like, if a woman's dying, sure. he's going to save her life. His but he has a horrible bed not set. Good. <laughs> no, they're so bad. Yeah. He was not, he was not yeah. a well-beloved OB. No. Anyway. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, even the language of, like, I, I am Melissa's client mm-hmm. to I am this doctor's patient. Mm-hmm. I have thought so much about that. Like yeah. as a client, that is such an empowering yeah. position to be in, I'm right? Your cu- you're my customer. Right. And like, I'm here she to is serve you. Me get my baby yeah. here. And I'm yeah. paying her to do that, right? And we, we, I always tell people when they come for a consult, I say, we work together as a team. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to say, based on my knowledge and experience, that's why you hired me. I think that this thing might be useful. How do you feel about it? Now, I always tell people, I say, I will ask you everything permission for everything like every time before I touched your belly what do I say? yes Hannah it's okay if I touch right every time my hands are cold whatever you know yeah. like I like I'm very very and our prenatals are an hour long so we have plenty of time to say how are you doing how's your home life you know like you might come in and have a high blood pressure and I'll, and I and I could say Hannah we need to induce you because you have high blood pressure or put you on blood pressure medications or I could say how was your drive here? How has your day been? And you How might much say, water have you had today? You'd ask me that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and you might say, I slept five hours last night. My kids were up all night. One of them's teething. Yeah. I almost got in a wreck on the way here and I haven't had time to eat breakfast or drink my water. And I'm going to say, that's why your blood pressure is high. Right. I don't need to put you on meds. I don't need to induce you. I want you to do these things and, and let's also take some deep breaths together. Let's talk about how you're feeling. Talk, tell me, let's sit together and let, let me help you feel loved. You tell me about all these hard things that just happened. Tell me about the almost wreck that just happened. And you, you know, you're describing it and you're saying, well, I tried to turn left and almost and this other person. And this is and, a hypothetical situation. Yes. This didn't actually this didn't <laughs> And then I can, and then you get to talk it out and then I can say, let's check your blood pressure again. I've gotten you a drink of water. I've brought you a drink. You know, 
I've brought you a snack. Maybe we have a string cheese, string cheese in the fridge. Yeah. We do this a lot. And then we check it at the end and it's completely normal, right? So like we care about the whole person. And I tell everyone when they come into consults, if you're looking for someone to save you from your habits or your choices or, or your, then you need to be in a hospital with an obstetrician. That's your best choice and that's going to be your safest choice. But if you're looking to take full responsibility for your health and the outcome of this birth and this baby and you've, and you've hired me to be a skilled person to guide you along the way and you're willing to work with me as a team on this, then I'm the one for you. Let's do it. But I've had people where I, I really say, I, I just don't think I'm the right fit for you because they aren't willing to take, they want to be saved, you know, and I'm not mm. here to save women. I'm here to empower women to save themselves, mm -hmm. you know, but also to be a guide and to have that knowledge and to say, Hey, let's try this. Would you like a position change? Oh, we did a cervical check and your baby's actually a little bit asynclitic. Let's do some rebozo. Let's do some, some sifting. Let's walk. Let's go up and down some stairs. Let's do and then, oh, look, your baby's straight and you're about to push it out. Like, that's how we work together, you know? Mm -hmm. And and if a mom says to me, I, something is off, then I listen to her. And I have heard so many stories recently about women not being listened to. And then they die. I mean, oh it's gosh. women will say, I'm having headaches. I can't feel my legs. This is happening and this is happening. And they just say, you're go take some Tylenol. And then she has a blood clot or something, you know, it's like not the care is not well, because okay. usually, I mean, you know, you call your OB office and you're usually talking to a receptionist and, and then like, 48 oh, hours later, they call exactly. you back. Yeah. And it's like, oh, too late. He's a bit busy, you know, mm -hmm. he'll get back into love. Yeah. Take down a message. And it's just, it's not, it's yeah. not the, Oh, it just yeah. it's so sad to me especially because it's like that's the only way so many women mm -hmm. know and so having you on today it was just like I want women to realize like if there are options yeah. and be aware of them yeah because it doesn't have to be that way and yeah. maybe there, I know some people love their hospital experience and have no problem yeah and, and then that's they need totally to be in the too. hospital if that's what works best for them it, it absolutely out of we're hospital not, birth is not for everyone right we're not trying to tell you like this is the way we're mm -hmm. just saying like this is an incredible way yeah and so if this is something that you want to learn more about like yeah please, please learn more about it. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that it does seem like, especially with COVID, it has been talked about more. And I even saw you post the other day that in Utah. Yeah, did you see that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so the the we're one of the highest rates of out-of-hospital birth in the nation. I think the only other, Wisconsin, I think, is higher than us. And uh, Wyoming? I'm, Maybe, I don't I remember really which curious one. to see the numbers on that because yeah. Utah just has, like, so many babies I know, born. I know. It's probably, like, but it's the hospital percentage numbers are... Wise, are still oh, right but yeah. like the hospital numbers are probably still comparable to like yeah. other states yes. but there's just so many totally yeah. but like i we get like these we we work with the state closely because they know that we're legal in the state and so we work closely with vital records and we and we get all the stats sent to us by like um like there's this organization called utah women's and newborn care collaborative and we get stats and stuff in the i just saw some stats and our birth center actually does more than many of the hospitals, more births per month than more, more like rural hospitals. But I was like, we're like a very busy practice. Wow. And, and our C-section rate is about 4%. The national average C-section rate is about 35%. That's within Utah? No, it, within, yeah, within the nation, the C-section like rate. Oh, our per, per, Utah birth suites. Suite. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't do C-sections, just to clarify. But you refer but them when, to the hospital. But if we're like, oh, this is 
not looking good. We think this could be an obstructed labor. Then we will go with our client to the hospital and then the client becomes a patient of the hospital, but we'll be there and we send all the records and we try to collaborate. It's really hard. That's another thing I could rant about is sometimes we'll go in and the doctor will say, not even look at us in the eye. And I'm like, you, in order, you can hate me. You can hate what I do. You can wish like destruction upon my firstborn, (laughs) but you cannot not talk to me about this patient because for her to be safe and for her baby to be safe, you need to know the information that I have. Yeah. So you have to look me in my eyes and you have to listen to what I have to tell you about what's been happening in this labor. You have to listen to my reports about her vitals and what they've been in her contraction pattern. And if you're not going to listen to me, then she's going to be more unsafe. So you can despise me as a human and try to ban what I do. But in this moment, you have to listen need, to me. You need me. Yeah. It's so and that's another that thing that's would... really frustrating. And I will yeah. go, I've done, like, I call it circles with a couple doctors where I'll go out and I'll say, okay, I need to talk to you. And we'll go out in the hallway. And I'm like, listen, I know you don't like what I do. Like, I will get very authentic with them and I will put everything on the table. I'm not going to be like... Thank you, Dr. Smith. I, I'm always so, so kind and have yeah. a lot of gratitude. So I do say thank you. But I usually also say, listen, I know you don't love what I do, but, and I've had doctors who will fold their arms and they won't look at me and they'll like go in circles around, like they'll start moving. I don't know if it's a power, I don't know what it oh. is, but I will literally like turn circles. I don't know what it is, but oh my gosh. I took, I took one mom who, um, had some pretty high blood pressures in the postpartum. She was totally stable, baby, totally stable, completely straightforward birth, nothing wrong. But there was just like, I just had this instinct. And that's a big part of what midwives use. We use all of our tools, diagnostic tools, but we also use our intuition. And I think, and then also how the mother's feeling. And I think a lot of people don't take that part into consideration Mm -hmm. when they work in the hospital. Not to say there are amazing, there are, yeah. I need to stop and say, yeah, there are horrible midwives, <laughs> horrible doulas, horrible nurses, horrible OBs. There are also brilliant midwives, brilliant doulas, brilliant nurses, and brilliant OBs. And I'm so much in gratitude for all of the good ones. You know, we have, I, I work with two OBs, two, yeah, two specifically that are on my team. Like one is my backup OB and he's amazing. And I get to he writes prescriptions for me and he, and I get to bounce things off of him. And if there's a lab that's like really crazy, then I can say this lab is like, I'm struggling to understand it. And he can say, well, this means, and this means, and here's this. And then I, it's just so wonderful to have that collaboration. And, but he lives in Kentucky. So like, wouldn't that be awesome if I had like a local OB that could collaborate with me? Um, and then there's another OB recently who I should give a shout out to Dr. Broberg. Okay. Right. What's the one who's being sued? It's not, I didn't oh, say his gosh. name, right? It's no. not him. <laughs> no. I accidentally switched those two the other day and oh, the people dear. were like, no, 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 that's not. Um, I had a client recently who um, has had babies with him and she said, I really, really want an out of hospital birth. And he was so kind and loving to her. And she said, if you write me a letter, then my insurance might cover it. And he wrote her a letter that said, this client is a great candidate for out of hospital birth. And he said, and he told her, you are a great candidate for this. She had this beautiful, straightforward birth that she desired so much. And I was like, this is what we need. We need like more of this collaboration, you know? So um, anyway, but so back to this client that I took, I took her. um, So I call labor and delivery. I have a mom. She's delivered totally stable, but 
something's not right. Her pressures are really, really high. Blood pressures are really, really high. And she's just not quite acting like herself. So I'm going to bring her in. And they said, great, you take her to emergency because after they already deliver, we prefer you go there instead. So I went into emergency and they're monitoring her and they're like, well, I mean, we don't really see. I mean, every once in a while she has a blood pressure that's kind of high because they're, you know, seeing that she has um, normal blood pressure sometimes, but they're taking it every 10 minutes, you know, and sometimes not. And they're like, we'll just keep watching her. And so the OB comes down from the OB floor. The OB on call comes down to mm-hmm. emergency and he's just like, just folding his arms and he's like, oh, another out of hospital birth. He's like, she's fine. So he goes out the door and I, I followed him and I said, listen, something's not right. She is not okay. And he's like, she's fine. And I said, she's acting weird. Like she's acting not like herself. And he said, fine. And so he storms back in the room and he starts shooting all these questions at her. Where's your baby? And she's like, my baby's over there. What day is it? And she said the wrong day, but he's like, well, you, she had her baby at midnight. So whatever, that's fine. What's your name? So he throws all these questions at her and she answered him mostly fine. So he's like, she's fine. He walks out, leaves, goes upstairs. So we're just sitting there while they're monitoring her and she has a seizure and yeah, yeah. It, and it turns out that it was a postpartum preeclamptic seizure that she started developing she was completely fine in labor, no problems, vitals, good, everything. And that, and I just, I was like, some, my midwife instinct was like, something is not right. And she was acting weird. Like she wasn't acting like herself. And I knew that because I'd spent hours and right. hours and That's hours about to say. building trust with her in prenatal visits. I knew who she was. I knew the kind of person she was. This doctor had never met her before. So to him, well, even like a traditional OB, like, you know, the one that delivered what was my doctor for Lydia, for example, like I had spent maybe five minutes with him one, you know, every month yeah. and then every two weeks and then every the week. Average, so it was like maybe a total of an yeah. hour over the full 40 weeks of a pregnancy. The, the statistically, the average length of time that an OB provider spends with his client is three to six minutes per visit. Oh. So our, ours are 30 to 60 and usually 60. Every once in a while, we have to throw a 30 minute in there, but never shorter than 30, almost always 60. And that helps me like get to know you so well that like, Maybe you have a high pulse because I've, because we know that all your family has a high pulse and you've been working on your thyroid. And like, I know all these reasons why you might have a high pulse. So if I see a high pulse then I'm going to know that for you, it's fairly normal. And that if I see above that baseline, then I'm going to go, oh, this is not okay. But if someone else had that pulse, I might be nervous because I know that she's not that way, you know? So anyways, then, so then that guy had left in the, in the ER doctor in the, uh, ICU doctor came in and they were talking to me. They were looking at me. They were listening to what I had to say. They were so kind. They were so respectful. They saw me as a peer. They saw me as having very valuable information for this patient who just had a seizure. So they ended up doing these other tests, like, um, running a CAT scan, making sure that her brain was okay and blah, 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 blah. She, it ended up not being good. She had to be in ICU for a few days, but the point is that, that that OB was like, she's fine and was about to discharge her. And if she hadn't had that seizure, she might've had it in the car. She might've had it at home where it wasn't safe, you know? And the, and then anyway, and then I saw, I went up to the ICU floor um, and the OB was walking away and he saw me and he said, she's so sick. She's so, so, so sick. And acted like I gave her, fault. like I gave her postpartum preeclampsia. Yeah. Oh and it, and I was like, oh, well, we never, like, 
I'm a skilled provider. And if I hadn't brought her in here, I mean, she could have, for all we know, she could have been on postpartum at the hospital and, and I mean, the same thing would have happened. Right. They would have done the same exact thing, you know, the same exact thing that happened when she was in the ER, which is just as safe as post as labor and deliver or the postpartum wing, which is probably maybe even safer, right? The ER, I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, it was just really frustrating. So I feel like, I feel like we're skilled providers and we, and if we do see a complication, we either manage it or we take someone to the hospital, but they don't. Well, and that's one thing too, that I think is really important to understand about good midwives is like good midwives know Mm -hmm. a lot. Like you're so skilled and you have so many, you know, tools and you also are very familiar with where things go outside of your scope. Yes. You are so yeah. good about being like, okay, this is the threshold mm-hmm. and I am, you're not going to like let your pride get in the way or whatever. Yeah. It's like, this is where we refer to someone because mm-hmm. this is outside of my scope. And like, I think that is so comforting too, because it's like, you can handle a lot, like yeah. almost everything. Yeah. But when you can't, you know exactly yeah. the tools that you need and, the and that, that is, you need to use. Yes, that's such a good point. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there are bad providers. I mean, let me rephrase, let me rephrase that. There are providers that people feel comfortable choosing who aren't as experienced and who won't take the client, but that, but that's because that's what the client wants. So as long as the family is making the decision to choose that provider because they feel like that provider is the best for them and they don't they don't care it like they're willing to accept death or damage because they don't want to go to the hospital and they've chosen this provider knowing that she won't take them at any cost then i feel like it still should be their right to say i don't i want to drive without a seatbelt that's my right i mean i know it's the law and we have to do <laughs> but i'm but i'm all about like women being able to choose what works best for their lives yeah. and for many of your listeners that that's being in the hospital with an ob and that's wonderful. And I'm so grateful that they have the opportunity to make that choice. I would never force someone to give birth out of hospital. Right, And you would never want to take that away. Yeah, exactly. But we should never force someone to give birth in hospital if they don't want to, you know? And so, so there are providers, I shouldn't call them bad providers. There are providers who have a lower transfer rate than I do. But I tell people that in my consultations too, I don't mess around. I'm not going to say you'll probably be okay. Let's just keep you here. I'm going to say, you'll probably be okay. And we're going to go just in case you're not. Right. You know? And that's ultimately what happened with me with the blood loss. Yeah. You I don't want you, you to pass out and hit your head and crack your skull open and die because you have no blood in your body. Right. And they Which tested me and my happened. levels were fine. And then mm-hmm. they sent me home. Although yeah. it was very, it, it was, was a hard recovery. It was a hard recovery, but it was just the experience this, with the yeah. OB was what made yeah. it way worse yeah. because he was just not, yeah, not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I know you have to go, but I have one more. He's question. not very many people's favorite. I, oh shoot. Yeah. You really have to go. Okay. Oh, I do have to go. <laughs> wow. I got really shoot. ranty here. One last thing is what would you say to someone who says, Oh, <laughs> I have to be induced. My body just doesn't go into labor on its own. Yeah. So, so th- I don't think that there are any documented cases in the literature of women not actually not going into labor. So there's that. I think that if you have somebody who's really unhealthy, they're not going to get pregnant and carry a term, carry a baby to term anyway. So we, so people will go into labor and, and like my licensure laws allow me and my, and keep in mind that my licensure laws were made by doctors and midwives and nurses. So I didn't make up my licensure laws. They were made up by a panel of doctors, nurses, and midwives who specialize in birth. And my licensure laws tell me that I can take someone to 43 weeks. 43? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. The laws in Utah are great for midwives. Really, really good. But I think it's because we know like 
we were talking about the stats. When I started my birth center in 2018, about 2% of people gave birth out of hospital. Now it's almost four and a half. Wow. So it's, it's increasing by like hundreds of percents. And that's the number of no, Justin. Well, it is it is nationwide that the out of hospital births are increasing, but in Utah, it's increasing way more rapidly than other Wait, states. Four percent in Utah. It's four and a half. Four and a half. Oh. It's like four point two five. So four and a quarter percent. And that's one of the highest in the nation. Yes. Wow. So four and a quarter percent of women giving birth are giving birth out of hospital. So this year alone, over two thousand women have given birth out of hospital, and it's just and that was actually in March. So January, February, March. Wow. Yeah, so it's a lot of when you think about those mm-hmm. numbers, it's not just like your neighbor down the street that did it one time. It's like a lot of women are making this choice now. And when you have like like we're 2 minutes from the hospital. Right. That's one of the reasons why I really like Yeah, so so like when you think of it in those terms, like we have fairly good collaboration with the hospital that we're near. They know us, they know our birth center, they know that we have records, they know that we do ultrasounds and labs and the, and these certain labs that they are like thank you for doing those things because it makes our job easier. They know that, 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 and so we, we have like such good rates. Like our outcomes are so good, like 0% episiotomy rate, a very, very low induction rate. And we induce, if we do have to, it's with non-medical things. So it's, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to guess it's less than 10%, a 4% C-section rate, babies born with these beautiful birth weights, like fat, chunky babies, really low rates of tearing. Like we just have such good rates and it's not because we're magic it's because we honor women's bodies. And so to go back to your question, if we leave women alone, their bodies will go into labor. We have, there's not a single documented case of, there might be a documented (laughs) case, but it might've been someone who was like really sick, you know, Mm. a healthy, low risk women are going to go into labor. So, it just might not be at the it's 40 not gonna, or 39 weeks. Well, is it true that in other countries, their due date calculator is a little bit different than ours? Oh, it probably is. Yeah. I, one of my friends was living in uh, a European country. I don't remember. And they consider full term 41 weeks. Oh, yeah. Well, so there's term and there's early term and late term. Okay. Yeah. So, right. it could so like they consider, but like their due date 40, is calculated wow, at 41 that's amazing. weeks. So, so of a lot weeks. of people, so the last menstrual, the first day of the last menstrual period is what we ask for, but a lot of people will accidentally give the last day of their menstrual period and, or they, or they might have a longer cycle. So they ovulate way later, putting their due, their due date, actually their mm-hmm. baby's not even close to being ready. Like they still mm-hmm. have two weeks because they ovulate on day 28 and then have a period a week later. Like it, we just don't take those, we take those things into consideration, Right. but a lot of providers don't. And then there have been some horrible studies that didn't take any other things into consideration that said things are safer if their babies are born at 39 weeks. And we're actually seeing new studies just barely starting to refute that study. Thank goodness. That, I know. That Do you know anyone who's not, who's not induced at 39 weeks anymore? Uh, no. It's pretty uncommon. I yeah. Feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And people worry so much about stillbirth, but the stillbirth rates are really, really low. So a doctor might say to you, Hannah, at 41 weeks, your stillbirth rate doubles. What it means is that first your stillbirth rate was 0.01% and now it's (laughs) 0.02%. So, so, but the women here double and they think, oh, so now I have a 50% chance of having a stillbirth. No, 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 no. So, and then we force babies out. And what we do when we induce people is we raise the chance for C-section. We raise chance for babies having to go to the NICU. And we just, when you say, but, but look, we saved a baby. We know that if we induce somebody at 42 weeks, if we induce people at 42 weeks, we have to induce a 
about 600, no, 41 weeks. So sorry, over 600 women to save one baby if we induce everybody at 41 weeks. But what happens, what people don't take into consideration is that many of those people that we induced, so let's say we induced 600 people to save that one baby. Now, those many of those women are now going to have a C-section that they wouldn't have had had we not induced them. And then when she has her next baby, her baby has a higher chance of dying because of that, sorry, because of that previous C-section. So we, we only are caring about the baby that's in the womb right now. We're not considering future babies. A C-section sets you up for aberrant placental implantations for your next babies and higher risk of death for babies and mother Mm. in the next birth. So, so if you don't do a C-section in the next birth, you have a lower chance for death of mom. If you do a C-section in the first birth, you have a higher chance of death for mom in the next birth. So we're not taking any of that, those future risks for death into consideration. We're only taking this one in 600 at 41 weeks. We're going to save that one baby, but then we're going to set up a lot more deaths for future. Wow. That's, such so, a, that's crazy. Yeah. It's it's not okay. Yeah. And maternal deaths, this is your listeners are going to hate this, but maternal deaths are a lot worse than a fetal death because a lot of times these women already have other children. Mm -hmm. And so we need to really, really focus on keeping moms healthy and strong and safe. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, that might upset some of your listeners, but, but again, it's like knowledge is power, right? Yeah. And you can't make an, you can't make a decision without all the information that yeah. It's so important. And just like knowing and I mean, great. Like some, some women love C-sections and yeah. like, okay, yeah, great. It's just her have choice all though. of the information. Yeah. Yes. When you're making that decision and just understand. And, yeah. All of it and, and someone's saying, Oh, it's just it. like a, but not another benign way to have a baby. It's not, it sets you up for many, many risks. And I was, I, I was born by C-section. I, my mom had four C-sections. I have people in my life close to me who have C-sections. So I realized that it's a thing that a lot of women are having to deal with. And I'm not like trying to scare people right. who have had a C-section, but it, they, they do need to know when they're making the choice between if a doctor says we could try this or we could do a C-section. If the baby's good and the mom's good, always try the other thing first. Always try the other thing first. Because it sets you up for a future that's, yeah, that's a little more risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And have the knowledge. And if you want all C-sections, great. But you should know that now you're, you, you have a higher chance right. well, for death of you and your way. baby. Like yeah. it, mm-hmm. Some people love being induced. They love knowing exactly the day that they're going to have their baby, which like, okay, that's great. Just be aware of all of the mm-hmm. the risks and benefits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then weigh them and choose what's best yes. for you. Yeah. But I think so often we just hear like the one way or the common way or, yeah. you know, we just assume like that's the way it's done. Yes. And we don't really take the time to educate ourselves around the benefits. Not and at all. I've had a couple of clients that have chosen C-section when they, when they were given options to not have one, but then they wanted it instead. And it broke my heart, mm. but it's what they wanted. Right. So I had to be supportive of that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I know you have to run. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. It's been so you guys awesome. You understand Thanks. how busy of a woman. Oh my gosh. Melissa you're so is. nice. She has so much going on. And I hope we can do this again because yeah, birth I'd is love just to. one of the many facets I of know. Melissa. We didn't even Melissa's get. Oh, oh, you're so She's such a dynamic woman. There's so much You're she so could sweet. talk and rant about. We have so much like more to rant about within birth. Too, I know. Though, so we? much. You just scratched the surface. But thank yeah. you so thank much. Thank you, Hannah. It was my thank pleasure. You, thank you. And I'm excited to chat more. Yeah.